Welcome to the Hometown Hero Outdoors Podcast. Here is your host, Chris Tatro. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Hometown Hero Outdoors Podcast. Today we have our regional director, Sean Olsberg, out of Texas. Sean came to us as a member initially and then went into field staff. And then starting up the South Carolina HHO state uh, and then transferred over to Texas and became the state director over there, spun up the state of Texas. So Sean is here with us tonight and also a special guest that we have is Marcos Dominguez. Marcos is the owner of Cisco D Ranch out of Texas. Sean and Marcos have established a very awesome relationship between the two. Very excited to have these two here. The The world that Marcus has, di- has dove into is very different than most people um, owning his own ranch with exotics and also with whitetails and a bunch of other different critters. So it's pretty excited to have him here. I've got to meet Marcos a couple different times. Uh, first and foremost, I met Marcos last year. That would have been September of 2021 at his ranch. Uh, I was hanging out with Sean and Sean had brought a member up and Marcos hosted him and they were able to get a hunt done. Then a uh, second time uh, this last March at our annual banquet, Marcos came up and donated to us and also supported us and got to have some stage time and very nice individual to meet. So without further ado, Marcos and Sean, thanks for being here today. It's a pleasure. Excited to be here. That's great. So Marcos, uh, why don't you tell the listeners a bit about yourself and who you are? Tell us about Cisco D Ranch, uh, just your history and where you came from and how you started everything. Absolutely, Chris. Um, so I, I'll, I'll start with uh, born and raised out of Austin, Texas. Uh, this is where I call home. These are where our roots are are planted. Um, I come from a, a medium-sized family. Um, you know, I have a, an older brother, an older sister, a little brother, and myself uh, makes up the Dominguez household. Um, my parents are from a small town uh, called Hondo, Texas. It's just south of uh, San Antonio uh, towards the, you know, central south part of, of, of the Texas area. And uh, Hondo is a um, very small spot, very small place. It's split by a railroad track, in fact. One side is a fairly uh, wealthy side of town. The other side is not so wealthy. Uh, you know, chickens running around, laundry hanging outside. And so my, my parents are both from that town. My father grew up on the wealthy side of town and my mother was, was, was raised fairly poor. And um, I set this stage for, uh, for our listeners here so that they can understand where my, um, my passion for the outdoors was born. So at a very young age, we used to go visit our grandparents um, and uh, we'd, we'd, we'd stop in and we'd visit my, my father's side of, the, of the, the family and my mother's side of the family. And on my father's side, being the wealthy household that it was, not a whole lot of cool stuff going on there for a little boy to, to, to dabble into, right? They're sitting around drinking coffee or tea and talking work stuff and not really my environment. While on my mother's side of the tracks, uh, my grandfather... Uh, was always plucking a chicken or cleaning a deer or working the garden. And I was always attracted to that side of the track, right? At a young age, my grandfather took me on my very first deer hunt. And uh, I remember him telling me the story of how to respect the animals and how to to, to respect the land and, and uh, abide by these uh, old Indian core principles that he has. Hmm. And uh, that just always stuck with me. He gave me my first hunting knife. A lot of my firsts in the woods were with my grandfather. Uh, my father, uh, in fact, has never hunted a day in his life. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so, you know, the passion at a very young age was really instilled by, by my grandfather and just understanding, like, 
all the amazing things that that the outdoors has to offer. Um, growing up, it became a channel for me to uh, to hang out, looking back with the right crowd, with good people, right? It kept me out of a lot of trouble that I probably could have got into mm -hmm. if, I, uh, if I wasn't in the woods chasing, chasing whitetail or fishing or something like that. And so um, I, I set the stage with that history because um, it's super important to the to the story that I'm going to share with you guys here in just a moment. Um, we're, we're a family-owned operation. Everything that we've built has been built off of uh, memorabilia and passion and, you know, good blood, sweat, and tears, if you would, to, to build what Cisco D is today. So mm -hmm. fast forward uh, to my teen years, um, my, or actually back up just a second. So when I was 10 years old and my little brother, Francisco, was five, my father came to us and being the business person that he was, he said, boys, I want y'all to put a business plan together. And I said, what's that, dad? Um, 10, right? My little brother's five. So yeah, what in the world is that? What are you talking about, man? Right? So he's right. like, put a business plan together. And we're like, what's that? So he broke it down to us. And he explained how when we grew up, we should work for ourselves, right? Don't work for somebody else. Work for yourselves. Be your own boss. Build your own empire. And I got this chat whenever I was 10 and my little brother was five. So my little brother and I, being the boys that we are, we just sat down and kind of thought like, what, what should we do? So we went back to dad and we said, Hey man, like, how do we find out like what that is? Like, how do we determine like what type of business to build? Right. And he said, just think of something you're really passionate about that nobody else is doing. Right. That you can mm -hmm. love doing on a daily basis. And uh, my little brother and I playing in the backyard one day, we literally used to pretend that my little brother was the deer and <laughs> I was the hunter. Right. And like at a young age, he'd be walking around on all fours in our backyard and I'd be pretending like going through the bushes, hunting him. And we literally were role playing what I'm doing today. Oh, wow. So we said, you know what? We got it, dad. We got the idea. We know exactly what we're going to do. And he goes, what are you going to do? He said, we're going to bring Africa to Texas. Right. And we're going to charge people for it. And they're going to come out and they're going to pay to get animals. And mm -hmm. my dad, never hunting a day in his life, looked at us like, OK, cool. That sounds neat. Go ahead. Do it. So at that point, we needed to start saving for this business, right? Because our business plan had us launching this plan after I graduated from uh, Texas A&M with a degree in wildlife science management. And my little brother was going to graduate from the University of Texas with a degree in business. And our goal was after we graduate from these universities, we were going to put our degrees together and build this awesome empire, this Africa and Texas adventure, right? And so that was our plan. And so my dad said, all right, y'all guys need to start saving up you know, and start, you know, working hard. And, and so we said, okay, so my little brother and I started a lawn mowing business. It's funny because at the time, at the time we were both in Catholic school, we were in private school, we were raised Catholic. And so being the little entrepreneurs that we were, we would wear our Catholic school uniforms door to door knocking in our neighborhood, um, presenting ourselves as like this professional elite little landscape business, right? And we started building a customer portfolio of, of, of neighbors that would have us mow their yard. And um, we did that for a while. So long story short, kind of fast forwarding a little bit. This is where this entrepreneurial spirit was born. It's right? got to start somewhere, right? Got to start somewhere. And it was really cool because at that time, my little brother and I would push these lawnmowers all around the neighborhood like a lot of young boys do. And we were making 20 bucks a yard, bringing Ziploc bags of money back to my dad. And he was putting <laughs> it into this, this bank account and we couldn't access it till, till we were 18. Literally, we, I did not access that money 
until um, further on in my story, which I'll share here in a little bit. <clears throat> yeah. But but we saved up, we did that, and that's kind of where that entrepreneurial spirit was born. So fast forward, fast forward um, to whenever I was 21, and my little brother was uh, was 16 years old. Um, my little brother uh, and I were staying home. Uh, my father, being an electrical engineer for Dell, was out of the country in Thailand with my mother. Um, they went for a Dell business trip. He's an electrical engineer for Dell, by the way. And um, they were out of the country on business. And my little brother called me up uh, on the morning. Uh, and he called me up on the 11th, the morning of the 11th, and said, hey, uh, can you give me a ride uh, to my buddy's place? And I said, man, aren't you supposed to be in school? He's like, yeah, I'm skipping today. Right. And I was like, oh, what? Like, oh, my God. Like, so we talked for a little bit. I was like, no, man, I got to work. I got to work, man. I can't give you a ride. I'm sorry. This was the last time that I talked to my little brother. Mm. And so at that time, um, I went to work. He wound up stealing or not stealing. He wound up taking my dad's truck. Right. Uh, borrowed. He, he borrowed it. Right. He borrowed my dad's truck. Uh because he knew where the spare key was. My father left the truck at home just in case something happened to one of our other vehicles. We had a backup vehicle there, right? So he wound up taking that vehicle and picking up a couple of his buddies uh, to skip school with. And they wound up taking the truck to, to the lake in Georgetown, Texas. Um, just outside of the lake, there's a small subdivision called North Lake. Um, it's right out past Sun City, beautiful Texas hill country. And it's notorious for off-roading. There's a little area down there where you can take your truck, put it in four-wheel drive, tear it up, you know, sling some mud. Real fun place, right? Um, well, at that time, my brother took that vehicle, took his friends, and when he got back onto the road, um, not having very much driving experience, in fact, he didn't even have his, his license, right? So he got on the road, lost control of the vehicle because the tires were caked with mud, Right. And when he pulled the vehicle back onto the asphalt, it grabbed, it caught traction really quickly, much greater than what he anticipated, right? It wound up pulling the vehicle sideways, barrel rolling it into somebody's front yard, into a huge oak tree, and he passed away instantly. He wasn't buckled up. Oh, His man. buddies were buckled up. They walked away with minor screw, uh, you know, scratches and bruises and, and whatnot. And, um, and so that's, that's what kind of fast-tracked Cisco D. Right. So after that happened, I was I was obviously super broken uh, being a 21 year old young man, you know, um, not really knowing what to do. And after a few years, I channeled all of that grief and anger and frustration. And and I had that conversation again with my dad. And he said. You should go finish that business. I'm sorry, man, that dream. Yeah, that void. Yeah, so so good. So I did. And yeah. I bought a small property in Goldweight, little over 100 acres, and we started I started running whitetail hunts and turkey hunts on that ranch by myself. And I saved up for about 5 years, 5 6 years I saved up. And uh and then used all of those savings, you know, I was the guide, I was the cook, I was the ranch hand, I was I did everything. And because of our super amazing customers at such an early age, I mean, you guys go to that ranch and you look in that lodge, <laughs> it is not a lodge. That is like a box of wood right? <laughs> um, is what it is. It's really what it is, right? But, but the amount of you know blood, sweat, and tears that's there makes it 
a lot. It makes it so special, Chris, right? Yeah. John could attest to that environment. It's just such a special, tranquil place, right? And our early customers kept coming back to us year after year to hunt that little slice of heaven, right? They loved it. Because yeah. They loved the environment. They absolutely loved the the amazing story of what it was built off of, right? And um, and that's what blessed us with our with with our Cisco D Ranch. So we named it Cisco D Ranch. So Cisco is what we all used to call my little brother Francisco, uh, Cisco for short, D for Dominguez. So Cisco D Ranch. That's where our name comes from, in in memory of my little brother. And so I ran that ranch for like five years, um, five six years. Saved up, bought the ranch in Santa Ana, raw piece of property in Santa Ana, Coleman County, just north of Land Passes, south of Abilene, you know, central Texas Hill Country, beautiful area. And I bought that property just raw, nothing on it. And uh, in the first year, we put up a high fence. Um, we ran water, city water to it. We we did all, we had to build everything from scrap, right? Um, and then we brought Africa to Texas, right? Then we yep. brought the orcs and the axis and the oddad and the fallow and the black buck and the zebras and the list goes on, man. I mean, we've had yeah. out there. We've had water buffalo. We've had uh, wildebeest. I mean, we had all kinds of stuff in and out of there on special orders and and whatnot. And so that's what we built today, right? It's a beautiful place, and um, it is. And that's uh, that's kind of the the high level of uh, of Cisco D Ranch and where we came from, and you know what got us to where we're at here today. Well, first and foremost, we're very sorry about your brother. Obviously, that was pretty traumatic, but. In the same sense, you know, to be able to honor his memory and your dreams is very admirable, you know, to move forward with all that and to build what you have at this time and be able to create those memories. Because, you know, your brother's watching down and he's smiling ear to ear, right? Yep. Yeah. Every day, yeah. man. Every day. <laughs> such a special thing knowing that we, 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 uh, everything that we do in this business with our customers and our partners and everybody that's involved with Cisco D, it's all with our customers' best interest at heart, right? Nothing's worth that relationship with these people, with these Cisco D family members, as we refer to them. We welcome to the Cisco D family, right? Is is so much more than the dollar, right? There's just a different level of bonding and relationship that's built in the woods, um, and uh, and that's a that's a very special thing to have. Yes, very much so. And, you know, and, and Sean was the one who introduced us, Hometown Hero Doris, to you. You know, and I remember, I'll never forget the day that Sean called me. He's like, man, we got this awesome ranch that I just got this partner with. And he's a great yeah. dude. And that's a very good opportunity for us to build a relationship with them and get our members out there. Totally. And I was like, what's going on, dude? <laughs> and I mean, so I sat and I listened, you know, and I Did he have. Did we met? Did Sean tell you how we met? No, he didn't. No. So it's such a cool story, man. Can I tell you real quick? Yeah, do it. Do it. Do it. So, okay. <clears throat> so I'm on the Santa Ana Ranch. We've been on the Santa Ana Ranch for now like two and a half years, right? So we've been running all of our operation off the Santa Ana Ranch on this small, like 750 foot square uh, square foot cabin, right? It's it's nothing super fancy, right? But it's better than the Gulfweight cabin, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure, right? And uh, and so we we ran the entire first couple of years out of this uh, this small cabin, and um, obviously I knew that I needed to build a bigger lodge. I needed to build something nicer, something with a little bit more umph, um, especially being at the caliber level that we were growing to be, right? So so I said, you know what? We're gonna build this super cool lodge. It's gonna sleep like a dozen people. 
right? It's going to have like burnt walls and cool animals everywhere. Yeah. And it has to have stained concrete. Why? Why does it have to have stained concrete? Because in a previous uh, role, Marcus worked for a company called All Star Stained Concrete in Austin, Texas. And I used to see like how awesome the finish used to come out. It was just beautiful. Everything was super like unique. There's not a single stained concrete floor that's like another one, right? It's just all unique patterns and just really cool stuff. And so I was like, got to have stained concrete. And since I work for the com- a company doing it, I got to be able to do it myself, right? right. Yeah. Of course you do, right? Famous so last words. Yeah, pretty much. So Marcus <laughs> being the genius dude that he is says, hey, I'm going to go stain my own concrete. And so I remember how to do all the prep work. And I did that really well. And I remember that I needed to expose, I need to, I needed to open up the pores in the concrete because concrete like soaks in the stain, right? So I was like, how did we do that? I remember we had this like machine that we like brushed around with. So I was like, oh, I'll go to Home Depot. So I went to Home Depot and I said, hey, I need this little thing so I can prep my my, my concrete floors, blah, blah, blah. So the lady there said, oh, you need you need a, a, a thing for concrete, right? And I was like, yep. So she showed me this machine. I took it on out there and I started running it. And that sucker just scraped the heck out of my concrete, just like destroyed the concrete. Oh, no. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh. And I had some customers coming in. So even more important. I had customers booked to come in like in a few days. They were flying in. They were expecting to stay in this new lodge and the stained concrete was the last thing that I needed to finish. So here I am, messed up floor, have like less than 24 hours to turn this finished product around before my customers show up. So I hop on Google and I start searching for uh, stained concrete contractors, right? And I go, go through this company called Service Magic, right? They're a paid like directory for contractors. I filled out the little form and this company called me. I still for, forget the name of the company, Sean. Uh, but uh, company <laughs> company called me up. It's like eight o'clock at night or something like that, like a super late. And they're like four hours away. And I explained my story, and they're like, "We're gonna come help you. We're gonna yeah. come help you fix your stained concrete." So I was like, "Sweet, no, awesome." No so, kidding. So they show up. They immediately get to work. Um, I meet Sean for the first time. He's on this crew, like. Help, I guess, giving a hand. He was like help, hanging out with his buddies or something that do stained yeah. concrete. And he like shows up and they wind up helping me with my stained concrete. And that's where I met, that's where I met uh, Sean. And he told me the, the HHO story and what he was about. And I was like, dude, I don't have any relationships like that in this industry. I'd love to make a relationship uh, supporting our military and our first responders. Like, let's do it. And ever since then, it's, it's, it's off to the stars. We've just, that's been- awesome. You know, and I'm going to guess that Sean was there because he heard a term when it was called free beer. Free hog hunting. (laughs) (laughs) Or that. (laughs) Or that. So so that story even gets better. You called that number, but that number was my sister-in-law, Melissa. Oh, yeah. She, eight years ago, she had a company that did stained concrete. She hadn't done it in eight years. and. And it was out of the blue, and my daughter and I—it was a Sunday night, wasn't it? Yeah, man, it was on so, a Sunday night. We had we had war, had to be at—I had to be at work the next day. You guys had to be somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so my my daughter and I are, are just leaving church, and Melissa calls, and she's like, "I I got the strangest phone call. Are you busy?" I'm like, "I had just retired from the army." I was like, "Let me check my schedule. Nope, nothing." And. uh <laughs> Well, this guy called me out in Santa Ana. I had no idea where Santa Ana, Texas was. And they were currently living in Fort Worth. Yeah. And so they gathered up all the supplies, swung by my house, picked me up. It's about 11 o'clock at that time, I think. And we drive out to Santa Ana. 
there's no address. Okay. So this guy just gives us a pin and says, <laughs> don't follow the address, follow the pin. And that's what well, you did to me when I came down. <laughs> and I still went to the wrong place, Sean. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And so we're driving in pitch black, middle of nowhere. And we pull up on this gate. And Marcus is out there with the, I think he met us out there. I can't, yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. What, yeah. I met you. And we're like, man, this is either gonna go. This will go one or two ways, you know. It's either gonna really work out, or or this strange uh, stranger just invited us out in the middle of nowhere, and <laughs> and uh, yeah, you can get buried out back. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was good at uh, BSing. That's for sure. So no, I don't believe <laughs> that. I came out. I could run, you know, many years of buffing floors and mop, running a mop in the army. I could figure that out. So I was like, <laughs> right. sure, I'm on. And uh, anyway, Marcos and I are standing around the fire because we had that standing concrete. There's stages it has to go in. And, and so yeah. we were letting one dry or whatever it was doing. And we got around the fire and he's and I just remember, you know, we've been praying about, you know, finding an organization like this. And uh, and then what it was a couple of months later, right out of the blue, Marcos calls me and uh, he says, hey. I've been praying a lot on this, and I think I think HHO is where we want to be, and so uh, yeah, this is history. That's pretty awesome. It's just it's amazing how the stars align and how people meet and the connections that get made just in passing, or like your story, you know, with needing last minute help. It's it's fantastic, and and that's how a lot of these relationships are built. Yeah, for sure. So and then you guys end up kicking it off and start talking about this stuff. What what did you guys' like planning or future goals look like at that point? Uh, between HHO and Cisco D? Yeah. Man, I tell you what, you know, it. Marcus is very, uh, he has everything laid out, very detail-oriented person. So I had to get my uh, shit in pile here and, and make sure I had everything <laughs> lined up. And um, he asked me, so what are your goals? I was like, oh, man. Uh, um, goals, hunting? Uh, hunting? Taking people hunting? <laughs> you know? No, man. Like, what do you want to get out of it? Where do you see this going in, you know, this year, the next, the next five years? And so we, we sat down and actually went over pretty detailed goals for what we wanted to accomplish that year and then um, left it open to expand into the next year. So that first year um, – Man, we had between the Goldthwait Ranch, um, which is which is a low fence, just a regular like Marcus was explaining. We take one or two guys each, you know, um, with a staff member, and it's just a good, quiet place. It is a slice of heaven. Uh, I go out there and I'll just sit out there in the peace and quiet. It's amazing. And uh, so we we uh, took I think six people. Uh, members out Gulfweight, and a couple of them, it was their first time ever hunting. So it was a perfect location to accomplish that and and show people, you know, uh, about deer hunting. Um, you know, and yeah, go ahead. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna go into the Cisco, into the Cisco D Ranch mm-hmm. next, but did you have a comment on that one? I was gonna say, uh, you know. Um, on my wild goose chase when you sent me to the Goldthwait one, not the right one. Um, 
between the two locations, um, could you explain like maybe what the difference is between the two? I know you said there's a low fence and then there's a high fence, but when I drove through, it did seem like there was a bit of terrain and vegetation type difference between the two properties. Is that an accurate assessment? Yeah, I can, I can feel that one, Sean. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so the Gulfweight Ranch is, is much more central Texas hill country, right? So a lot more, um, you know, uh, coastal grasses, bigger oak trees, um, not as many mesquites, right? There's a few cedars kind of here and there, but, you know, we'll, we'll refer to the, the Mills County uh, areas as, as more prime real estate, if you would, right? Uh, the Santa Ana Ranch is a little bit further west, right? So you start getting a little bit more red uh, coloration in your soil, uh, not as much pasture, coastal grasses, a little bit more mesquite, not as many oaks, right? Um, but we also have a little bit greater elevation change in Santa Ana, right? We got this big ridge out there that a lot of the Audad and the sheep family like to go and climb up into the really rocky areas. Uh, the Gulfweight Ranch is a little, it is, is much flatter, right? Uh, it does have a freshwater creek that runs through it uh, pretty much all year long, but primarily topography changes. And then obviously the Gulfweight Ranch is low fence, so it doesn't hold you know, all of the exotic species, right? As to the uh, Santa Ana Ranch, it's high fence. It's got the big eight foot fence all the way around the perimeter that keeps all of the animals in. So it really allows us to manage and, and grow animals of trophy caliber. And both are incredibly beautiful properties, you know, even though they differ, they, they all have their own little gem, so totally. to speak. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, when I drove by that Goldthwaite one and I stopped and I was like, uh, first and foremost, I don't think this is the right one. <laughs> but number one, if it is, it's fucking beautiful. Yeah. And then, you know, the other one we got to, and it's just as beautiful, you know, yeah. uh, and it's kind of interesting just making the drive between, I think we drove up from Waco. Okay. And then we hit Goldthwaite and then we went to the Santa Ana one. And it, it was just the difference in terrain and topography and just sure. the views were amazing. But I will say that going into that area is like driving the Bermuda Triangle from my Verizon cell phone. <laughs> I didn't know where the hell it was. Yep. And I still try to find photos. It backdated photos to like 1992 in my phone for some reason. I didn't know what time it was. But but that's the cool part about it, though, is you can disconnect. And even though my phone doesn't know what's going on, that's cool. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm yep. able to disconnect and be able to be enjoying what's in front of me versus what's going on on my phone. And the Cisco D ranch too, for our listeners is when you pull up on this road, there's a monster sign right off the road and it's, it's glaring and it's great. It, it just feels like homey almost when you get there, Sean was sitting there waiting for us and we pulled in and we drove up to the lodge and it's a beautiful lodge. This building is amazing. And you walk in and as Marcos was explaining, you know, you have the, the burnt wood that's inside and the concrete and whole, how many people does it actually sleep? So it can sleep nine people individually. Uh, but there's a, uh, there's three queen beds. So if there's couples or whatnot, it can, it can sleep a few more, but nine, nine adults individually. Yeah. And, the, and all the sleeping quarters are upstairs and there's one that's downstairs, right? There's a two. Yep. Yeah. No, there's, there's four bunks upstairs. It's like a, an open floor plan, if you would upstairs. Uh, they're all uh, XL twin beds, except for three of them. Three of them are queen beds on the bottom and XL twins on the top. And then downstairs, there's a master suite, uh, that has a queen size single bed in it. And then we got a full size kitchen in there, pool table. 
Yeah. Big old TV where you can watch football when you got some downtime. And then the I think the most amazing parts when you go upstairs and you walk out on the patio, you can see for miles. <laughs> yeah, miles and miles and miles. That's my favorite place. The second floor deck. I had to yeah. have it. I was like, I want a big deck up here where we can just go and hang out and just look for as far as you can see. You can see forever. And and then you can see a lot of the animals that are on the ranch as well from there. Yeah, you can see the lake. You can see the, the the big old lake, and there's a big old protein feeder next to the lake from that back porch. You can see the 50 acre food plot down in the bottom. We typically plant that in wheat and oats during the fall, and uh, milo during during the spring and summer time frame. So they're always you know antelope out in that big field because they like to have that open area. That's just kind of their natural area. But you'll you'll see everything walking around from that back deck. Just take your binos up there or a good video camera, and you can zoom in on stuff all day long. You'll stay busy. Just from that back porch. Don't you have a? I think there's a shooting range too that you can mm-hmm. shoot from up there, right? Yeah, yeah. So we got a shooting range from the back deck. We have a target, a steel plate target on the side of this ridge. It's about 450 yards uh, from the back of that porch. Uh, but we also do have a hundred yard rifle range that backs up to the uh, the the dam on our two and a half acre lake that's out there. Um, big old lake. It's about 25 foot deep in its deepest, and so that dam on the back is 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 pretty legit. I mean, you shoot right into that sucker, no problem. Um, and then we've had some some long-distance marksmen, right? I think a few guys from HHO actually take some longer shots out into our big field. You can stretch out and get a 1,000 yards from that back wow. from that back porch out to a corner of that big field. You can, yeah. you can touch a 1,000 with it. So That's quite the poke. Yep. Good stuff. Yeah, I remember getting up there and seeing the odd ad <clears throat> and then Oryx, right? Yep. Scimitar. Yep. Yep. A couple zebras, and I'm like, what in the world? Like, this is pretty cool. You're in Africa, man, in Texas. We did it. I loved it. It was great. So, Sean, what was your first experience when you showed up? <clears throat> oh, man. It was it was the same. So, the first time I went out there after uh, Marcos and I had started talking, uh, he just he just introduced me to come out and said, hey, just come out and hang out at the ranch. Come, come check it out. So, that's what I did. I came out there, and I... Um, they had some clients out there at the time, so I was able to kind of uh, talk with them. I think one of them ended up being a veteran, so we ended up talking about HHO and, and stuff like that and uh, and just driving around. Uh, that ranch has the topography of Cisco D Ranch in Santa Ana. Is just, it's, it's got everything. It's got your fields, rocks, hills, um, you know, cliffs, lakes, and so when you're driving around, it took me, it took me about a month or so before I could figure out <laughs> what road am I on? Where am I going? <laughs> sometimes I do circles, you know, before I could find the cabin again. So it's a, it's just a fun place to, to be. Yeah. And you know, I, even me being there for a full weekend, I don't think, I mean, I think I saw the whole property. I don't know, but it it was pretty vast, and that you know, like I thought the cool part too was the diversity that came with the terrain and the different types of hunting that's available, and you know, even with the the individuals that you had to help and guide, um, and and where to look for the animals was pretty interesting because they all have their own little area they like to hold in, and I thought the really cool part was that that plowed field. Also, we can on that ranch since it uh, exotics are not a a game species in in the state of Texas that we can. We can actually hunt at night um, at mm-hmm. the ranch as well. So, you know, one yep. of our veterans came out there and he he got his access out there at night with with a, a thermal scope, which was 
way cool. You just can't do that anywhere else. Yeah, we do all the, all different types of, of hunt styles. So a lot of the hunts are over feeders out of box blinds. Um, for those listeners that, that haven't hunted uh, a whole lot, it's basically a big old um, like six by six foot uh, box of wood with windows uh, on a platform that you climb up into with some office chairs and you sit there and you wait for animals to come out basically. Uh, so most of our hunting is done in those box blinds, uh, over corn feeders and protein feeders. Um, you know, we run about 8,000 pounds of protein, uh, all year long, uh, that equates to about 20 tons of feed every three weeks, right? Uh, so lots and lots and lots of feed going on to these, onto these ranches. We house about, uh, 250 animals or so, uh, a variety of different species, uh, on the property. Um, and so you can hunt over, over feeders, you can spot and stop, you know, kind of stealth through the woods, right? If you want a, a big challenge, um, we can do safari style, which is cruising around in rangers, uh, Polaris UTVs, off-road vehicles, uh, finding and locating the animals and then conducting a spot and stock after them, after we locate them. A um, lot of a uh, lot of different ways to, to, to hunt the ranch, but yeah, it's def- definitely never a dull moment. Lots of fun. It was one of the first times too, I think I experienced suppressors in hunting too. I mean, it's growing more obviously. And it's the great state of Texas. So the suppressor hunting is catching on in the north, but uh, it seems like it's pretty prevalent down there. And with the hunt that Sean had hosted with one of our members down there and Sean had brought some suppressors to use, that was that was pretty cool and different too. A little different world, but obviously normal in that area. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, our partner Silencer Central was able to hook us up with with a couple of suppressors, and uh, we put them on a couple of Zach's rifles with the Atheris Rifle Company that he donated to HHO. And um, man, it, it just doesn't get any better than that. You can be out there; the animals don't spook as much uh, when you're hunting with suppressed. Uh, whoever's in the blind with you uh, loves you a little more because they're not <laughs> deaf. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. And you know, you can take the kids out there and, and a lot of youth, uh, a lot of youth hunt out at Cisco D families, you know, uh, if you're hunting suppressed, it just, it's just that much more enjoyable. Hey, and then Marcus, so Marcos, sorry. Um, you have, uh, how many different species of animals there? Wow. So we, we stock, a variety of different species. So our common stock animals that we have on site at all times is going to be uh, black buck, axis, fallow, awdad, and scimitar orcs. Uh, so we stock those five all year long. We also keep a handful of like sheep and rams on the family, uh, on the ranch, such as uh, uh, Texas doll, barbado, painted deserts, black Hawaiian. Um, we occasionally have some mouflon and some transcapian urials on the ranch as well. And then we've done a lot of special orders for some of our VIPs, um, such as Kudu, um, Gemsbuck. Uh, we've done um, Addicts. So there's some animals that we don't stock all year long, um, but if a customer would like to have one out there, we can, we can locate it out there. I think that's a good transition into a little bit of our growth that we've experienced um, uh, here at Cisco D over the past few years. So being in this industry, uh, Chris, we have a high um, restocking rate of animals, right? So when we harvest X amount of access bucks, for example, now we need to replenish those, 
right? They don't they don't grow and mature as fast as our as our customers harvest them, right? So it takes a good four to five years for an access buck, for example, to reach maturity before you want to harvest it, right? That varies from species to species, right? Depending on what you're hunting, and so when you harvest X amount of animals, you need to replace X amount of animals. I've had the pleasure of working with some very, very, very stand-up gentlemen uh, in the animal trapping and relocation business uh, here in Texas. Uh, Vic Hollander, Richard Welch, Course, uh, Cody Corsier, um, you know, uh, Pedro Lopez. I mean, there's a, there's a few guys that are uh, in the trapping business as well. Uh, Will Lambert, Morgan Roscoe, Grant Morgan, um, the list goes on, right? I've met some really rock star guys uh, in the animal trapping and relocation side of the business to where they became my suppliers. If I needed access, I call them up. They go find the access for me. They deliver them to the ranch, right? I need orcs. They go find them. They deliver to the ranch. Well, after two years of doing that, I recognized um, the opportunity in expanding uh, the Cisco, the empire, right? And I recognized that um, I was not purchasing these animals at, at, at the rate that I could be purchasing them at if I did all the trapping and relocating myself. So that's where Cisco D Trapping and Exotics was born. Uh, we launched that portion of our enterprise in October of uh, last year. So it's a relatively new extension uh, to the Cisco D family, um, but having a rockstar crew uh, help lead that charge has made it really amazing. Um, had some really good guys help us get it off the ground that went off to pursue their own trapping businesses actually. Right. They actually learned a lot through Cisco D to go and start their own businesses, which was a huge accomplishment for Cisco D to recognize, helping train them and teach them how to go and do that on their own. So there's a lot of reward in, in seeing our staff go and, and do things that they love to do. And now we have a great team of, of staff that's taking on where those others left off um, and trapping and relocating these animals. So we got these huge traps, guys. I mean, they're like they're huge. I mean, they're eight foot tall, big, uh, you know, square tubing framed uh, 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 walls with black 80 millimeter plastic, this heavy duty plastic. And you basically hook all these eight foot by 12 foot long panels together to create a huge circle, like a gladiator circle, right? Um, four to eight of those panels like roll up with these curtain, uh, uh, doors. All of this is, is controlled via cell phone. So we have motion censored real leak camera systems that watch the feed station, a corn feeder or a protein feeder in the middle of that trap, and it detects motion. And so we bait it real heavy with corn and alfalfa in different places across Texas, private ranches, HOAs. We work with numerous zoos. I mean, anybody who wants to sell or liquidate some of their animal assets and turn them into cash, they'll call Cisco D Trapping up. We'll go out, set up this trap. We'll bait it. We'll when the animals walk in, it sends a message to our cell phones that there's motion in the trap. We pull up our phone, we live stream the feed. And once we have the animals in there that we want, we push a button on our phone, it drops all the doors. And then here goes out Cisco D crew. Wow. That's pretty crazy. It's awesome. It's really Western. It gets cool. You like get to handle animals in the trap and load them out. And so we, we basically become our own supplier, right? So um, we still work with some of our are amazing relationships that we've made in the trapping business uh, with some of those guys that I listed earlier, because I don't always have the animals that I need for my customers. So we still network with them. But now for the most part, we're supplying our own, our own animals to Cisco D, which helped roll those cost savings to our customers. Um, and, um, and then we still supply other ranches too. So now we're, we're helping other wow. ranches do what we're doing. Yeah. It's super beneficial. Mm-hmm. And so is it pretty prevalent for exotics and stuff like that to be, you know, out in the wild in Texas then? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, when the first exotics were introduced uh, to Texas, which was a while back, um, a lot of them got out of got out of their uh, their ranches that they were housed in. Right. Um, uh, Cisco D experienced this themselves uh, about six months ago where we were hit with uh, over eight inches of rain uh, in less than, I don't know, three hours. And that's pretty devastating for down there. It was it was it was pretty catastrophic for our operation because um, it took the entire fence down. Our yeah. our our creek that drains out of the property uh, collected all the debris and all the branches and the leaves and the grasses from the entire creek bottom, and that that fence acts as a filter, kind of like a coffee filter, if you would, and it doesn't let right. a whole lot of water through. Um, and it took the entire fence down. We lost 750 yards of fence, uh, over 100 head of exotics and whitetails. Um, and uh, that was a pretty uh, catastrophic time frame, right, where uh, where that happened. But luckily, luckily, I have HHO. They got my back. Sean showed up with his with his Polaris machine and uh, his working gloves, and he helped us literally put that fence back together and and and, and help us at on the drop of a dime. He came out along with the rest of the tr- the crew. So I think that was got- another uh, late night call too. That was a late night call, <laughs> Sean. We do have a. A history of that happening, don't we? Yeah, and, and you know, Sean's so busy. Yeah, you know, it was it was awesome. Like the, the retirement plan. Yep. But uh, no, did you get any of those animals back? Not very many. We got a couple. The rest of them kind of made their way out and didn't really come back. But uh, but yeah, you know, having the trapping and relocation business has allowed us to bounce back from that loss relatively quickly. Right. Um, we're running and operating uh, six trap systems right now. Our smallest is a is a four gate system uh, with 13 panels and a loadout. Um, and our biggest one is an eight an eight gate system with 13 panels and a loadout. And so we've been able to go set up these in strategic places throughout the central Texas Hill Country area. Um, we even have one really far south in Zapata, Texas, near Mexico. Um, and we're catching black buck and axis and scimitar orcs and buffalo and all kinds of animals on, on high fence game ranches. We did a job in Lampasas in an HOA subdivision uh, where the, the the director of the HOA called us up and they were like, hey, Marcus, we have all these exotics eating, you know, all of the vegetation in the HOA, people's plants, people are complaining, can you come and get rid of these? So we really can work anywhere, right? Anywhere we can set up one of these traps and, and get permissions from those who own the property, we can turn those uh, those animals into cash. That's pretty beneficial for sure. I'm sure that really helps out in the long run. The um, the animals that you do have on the ranch, the exotics, do they naturally breed or is that something that you have to do? I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of like veterinary type side of things to that, but yeah, uh, do they reproduce? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, a great question. So you touched on a couple of things with that question, uh, maybe not even knowing. So I'm going to address like three different parts of that. First Ooh, off, let it fly. Breed. I'm going to let it fly. First off, the breeding Second part, uh, our local county biologist, right? And third part, our veterinary relationships. So all three of these things map into um, the program, the management program that Cisco D houses. So it's super important, first and foremost, that the property is housing the right amount of animals based off of the natural forage that's on the ranch. Um, A lot of uh, people don't recognize that just because we're feeding 20 tons of protein every three weeks doesn't mean that the animals are getting what they need. Right. right, just from the protein, and so it's super important to Cisco D also to respect our animals. Uh, this goes back to how I was raised on the poor side of the railroad tracks with my with my grandfather. Understanding and respecting those animals, right, has been instilled into me at, at such an early age. And so, 
Um, one thing that Cisco D really prides itself around is making sure that we're not um, overpopulating the ranch, right, with, with animals. And so here recently, we've reached a threshold, right, to where our breeding and our production on the ranch is now putting the ranch in a position to where it's overpopulated, right? This is the first time that we've ever had this happen, right? We started noticing these trends whenever animals started eating the cedar trees, right? Oh. That's a bad thing, right? That's a, that's, a, that's a sign that says, hey, we're not getting what we need, and we're going to try to go and supplement that in other ways. And I don't know if you've ever tasted cedar. <laughs> no. um, I'm going to pass. Yeah, you, that's a hard pass. So, <laughs> so I talked to our, our, our local biologist. Every county in the state of Texas has a, has a biologist that's assigned to its county, right? And so our biologist is, is a phone call away. So I stay in touch with him about our breeding program. And he basically said, you need to reduce the population. And so having the trapping and relocation business allows us to do that relatively quickly, right? We'll set up a trap on our own ranch and just take off a bunch of does, right? We'll remove a lot of does. This will leave all the shooters uh, eligible uh, for our customers, right? And so that's kind of what we're doing right now, actually. We actually just moved some of our own animals off, off the ranch here recently. And then the third part of that ecosystem is our vet relationships, right? So we work with a, a, the vet clinic at a Coleman County uh, for our Cisco D hunting operation side of the house. And we work with a clinic at a Cedar Park, Texas for our trapping and animal rel relocation business. And both of those vet relationships are active working relationships. They both require field visits to the ranch multiple times a year to keep that relationship open. Um, that allows them to fill scripts and prescribe us medications and all those things that we need for for the animals. So all of that is part of the breeding part of your question. So the short answer is yes, there is breeding, but it's controlled to where we're, we're making sure that we have the animal's best interest at heart. Oh, that's pretty, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of science behind all of it when it comes down to it. And I'm sure, yeah. you know, like you said, you know, the animal's best interest at heart and it's, it's pretty in depth, really. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of science behind it and, and, and foresight when it comes to having to plan that and then down the road. Yep. And it's just not bringing animals and harvest them. I mean, there's right. a lot more to it than just that. It's a full ecosystem, right? I mean, you have uh, different animals that compete for the same type of forage, right? That you have to be mindful of. Like you can't have an over amount of grazers out there if the property isn't producing enough coastal grasses, you know, natural grasses and stuff like that. And so um, then you have those animals that just hog the protein, <laughs> right? That don't let any of the other animals. Right. So you got to, you got to find that balance. And, um, and I think we've done a pretty good job of that. And we got an amazing team that helps manage it. And as, as Sean mentioned earlier, I, I am pretty thorough in, in some of our processes, you know, I do have a software tech background is, is what I do for a living full time. Um, you know, the ranch and the trapping, and we'll talk about the fallow breeding here in a little bit. Um, all of that are, are passion components to, to my full-time work. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, and you just talked about, you know, the protein hogs, you know, the, the animals that like the protein. What is it? Is there a specific one that stands out more than others? I would say the sheep family in general, right? So we'll say Audad and then all the sheep, you know, Texas dolls, Barbados, Painted Deserts, Black Hawaiians, um, <clears throat> Mouflons, Transcapian, Urials, Catalinas, Ibex, like that whole family of sheep and goat just, they just live there. They just live under the feeder. I have pictures on our trail cameras of them sleeping underneath the feeder. Just, just ready to go. Mouth just open. Down, they just get up and walk around and then just stick their head in the spout and then lay right back down under the feeder. Yeah. Huh, they, sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> Going to the feeding trough, the feeding bag, ready to go. That's awesome. Sounds like a good life. Yeah, right. 
Yeah. So let's, let's transition to the fallow stuff. So uh, let's talk about that. <clears throat> yeah. You know, I've always had a passion for fallow deer. I don't know why. They're really cool deer. They originated out of Europe um, and they are just super cool. They palmate. So their, their horn, their antler, I'm sorry, their antler um, palmates kind of like a moose, right? It doesn't, it's not like a branch, like a white tail or an axis. It palmates. It creates this palmation, which is just super unique to that species. And um, I've always just really enjoyed them. They're super majestic looking, right? They're very vocal, right? Especially during the rut. Uh, they're, they're vocal, they're grunts. They're, you can hear them all across the ranch and stuff. And um, and, and early on in, in the Cisco D business, I recognized that there were certain species that had extremely high potential of margin and profitability. So from a business perspective, obviously, I, we need to make a dollar, right, to keep things growing and keep things moving forward, right? And so I was trying to find out if I were to invest in a specific species to help advance the business and breed it at a very high caliber level, what species should that be? And fallow fall into what we call the common stock of exotics, right? There's like two parts. There's super exotics and like common stock is how the, the industry speaks to them. The supers are going to be like your kudu, your bongo, your impala, right? Your dama, you're like those. We refer to those as supers. They're just on a whole different budgetary threshold of cost to buy those animals. Some of those animals cost 50 to a hundred thousand dollars a piece. Right. <laughs> and so the mortgage. Yeah. So being the small business that I was at the time and still am, that just wasn't feasible for me. Right. I, I wasn't in the position to go and spend a million dollars to start. A herd of animals, right? right. So I kind of down, you know, kind of looked at what was realistic in my reach, and and I landed on fallow. I did my due diligence, and I found out their resale value was was pretty cool. There was a demand for it. Um, there was future rumors of it competing with the whitetail industry, right? This was about five years ago, and so I met a gentleman by the name of Colby Stevenson. Um, Colby uh, pioneered, if you would, the fallow industry to what it is today. Uh, Colby started um, matching and breeding high pedigree genetics within his own facility, uh, just out of um, just 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 out of South Austin, basically. I mean, it's over towards Elgin, actually, Elgin Lockhart area in Texas. He produced the first fallow buck to score over 400 inches. That fallow buck was called Bullwinkle. Is his name? Um, fast forward. Fallow now have pedigrees, they have paperwork, they have an exotic wildlife association registry, where if you're a fallow breeder, you can register and actually pull hair and DNA samples from your animals to match them to fathers and mothers within the registry. Wow. And paperwork to where you actually have pedigreed animals, right? Kind of like you want to go buy a full blood dog, for example, hunting dog, like people pay top dollar for those German short hair pointers and those labs that come from those premium lines, right? And so the fallow is no different. And so very similar to the whitetail industry, there's now fallow that are 50, 50 to $100,000 fallow, right? Where I bought into that industry was five years ago when fallow does cost 200 bucks, 300 bucks, right? A fallow buck cost $1,000, right? Now, wow. now the Cisco D um, fallow part of business um, is, is home to... Uh, to some really neat stuff. So we partnered with Jimmy Anderton with Long Tine Ranch, uh, just out of Fort Worth, Texas. Jimmy's been in the animal business for over 20 years. Um, he has over 300 head of fallow uh, on, on his facility. He has an AI facility where they'll artificially inseminate uh, does with specific uh, semen from certain bucks. 
and he grows monster deer. I mean, he's got huge deer. He's actually the owner um, of a, of American American Made, which is the second 400 inch fallow buck to ever be produced in the world. And I had the pleasure of buying into partnership on one of those sons. So Cisco D owns 50% partnership with Jimmy Anderton on American Blaze. American Blaze is one of three sons brought out of American Made. There's American Legion, American Blaze, and American Sancho. Um, and Cisco D is, is the proud owner of, of American Blaze. Um, and so we've really built up that business uh, on the fallow side, thanks to Colby Stevenson, tying it back. Colby sold me my first 10 fallow does out of his facility um, and my first ever pedigree buck called Sledgehammer. Or I'm sorry, I called him Axel. He's out of a he's Sledgehammer's son. So anyway, long story short, you know, the fallow business is booming. Um, there's a lot of really great opportunities in that part of the business. Uh, Cisco D's tapped into that, breeding some high pedigreed animals coming out of uh, we got some Bullwinkle girls, some royal daughters. We got a, a sledgehammer son called Axel, uh, and we have our American Blaze uh, son as well. And so the future looks really bright. So if anybody's out there listening, uh, looking for some looking for some fallow to introduce new genetics into your program or just grow really monster monster fallow, uh, keep Cisco D in mind. And those fallow deer, I mean, I'm assuming the the Bullwinkle side of things just because of how they grow their antlers, right? Yeah massive and how, how how much do they normally weigh like an animal itself yeah so they're they're pretty much comparable to like as far as body size you could compare them to like a, a good mature axis deer they're a little bit bigger a little bit bigger than whitetail not much then again it also depends <clears> on where you're breeding the whitetail from right are these northern whitetail deer or south right Texas white -tail? right those body sizes are completely different but i would compare them a little bit bigger than um, our South Texas genetic whitetail, not as big as a northern whitetail buck out of Kansas or something like that, you know. But um, they're pretty good size, you know. A, a big mature male can go, you know, over 200 pounds easily, you know, 220 pounds, something like that, big mature. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. Kind of ballpark. And and they're beautiful. They, they come white or chocolate. Uh, yeah. And it's... Yeah, there's actually three. So there, there's white, there's chocolate, and then there's spotted. Right, uh, so those are kind of like the three main categories. Sometimes you'll get like a light chocolate with some light spots. Right, you'll kind of get that little mix. But for the most part, they're popping spots or they're they're whiter chocolate. Those stood out so amazingly cool. when I was down there watching them walk through the property, even up by the uh, lodge. Yeah, the, the, the white ones make it a, a, a relatively easy hunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Walking through all those green cedar trees. Or yeah, <laughs> wearing blaze orange in the northern woods. Yeah, no, they pop out pretty good. They're they're pretty awesome. The animals just to sit and watch. Even and it, it was pretty cool. Yep. Well, that's quite the awesome cool. adventure. Yeah. And what about your uh, whitetail side of things? I know when we were down there, you know, we got a, a pretty good glance at some of your big whitetails that were there. Those are those are pretty amazing deer too. Yeah, I, I think we did it very well in regards to how we introduced our, our, our genetics for our whitetail program. So when we started, we put up that high fence, right? We bought the raw land, we put up the high fence. Well, naturally, when you put up a high fence on a big ranch, you're going to catch a bunch of native stuff, right? You're going to catch pigs in there. You're going to catch maybe some turkey. You're probably going to catch some whitetail deer, right? When you put up a ranch, a high fence in Texas. Well, we did. We caught a bunch of native whitetail deer. Now, we didn't want to introduce good pedigree genetics into our program and have them breed with native genetics. We wanted to control the introduction of, 
of what we were producing on our on our ranch. And so step number one was basically to uh, hunt all of the native animals on the ranch first, specifically the whitetail. Turkey kind of fly in and out as they as they wish, right? But for the whitetail, we came in and we ran hunts and we we removed all of the native whitetail on the ranch. We made a hundred percent sure that there wasn't any whitetail left on that ranch. Once we did that, we introduced our first um, uh, whitetail pedigree line, right? And those pedigrees of those of those whitetail bucks were big. I mean, we were bringing in 215 to 220 inch one year olds. So what? instead of seeing just little spikes, right? You're looking at a rack of 24 symmetrical, clean, typical points. Wow. 215 to 220 inches at one years old. We then brought in um, the equivalent to does, right? We brought in does that were born out of 250 to 300 inch genetics, right? And we put them out there bred to other big, big, clean bucks, right? And so that's how we started our program. That was a tough lesson in our first uh, in our first release on, on the ranch. You know, I saved up for about four years to, to drop about $200,000 worth uh, on really premium whitetail genetics. And uh, we lost about half of those in the first four days because I didn't know that you were supposed to have a soft release pin, right? I was never, I'm learning the hard way, right. hard way guys. But, you know, it's kind of like if you've ever had an aquarium to, to our listeners, if you ever had an aquarium for fish, um, you don't just go buy fish from the fish store and then pour them into your aquarium. You like let them sit in the little bag to get acclimated to the new water temperatures and all that stuff. There's a stress factor that's very true with whitetail. You need to acclimate them to the environment. And so you're supposed to have these pins that you release them in uh, so that they can get acclimated to their new territory. Then you open the gate to these soft release pins, which must be approved by Texas Parks and Wildlife. You got to get a permit and it's very highly regulated, but you allow them to come and go from as they wish from that pin. And that pin has water and feed and that's how they were raised in these pins. So we didn't know that, right? So we learned the hard way. So our year number one of introduction, we lost uh, every single whitetail buck that we introduced with those genetics, except one. We named him Bruno. Uh, he turned out to be a, a poster child, double drop time, 250 inch, clean, typical 12 point buck. Uh, we covered over 40 does to that buck. And those are the genetics that we have on that ranch now. So beautiful buck. Listeners, go to our Facebook page. Uh, look at our our pictures there and you'll find Bruno. Uh, he's actually in my profile pic. Uh, I'm, I'm holding that that sucker right there. So Whitetail program is is buzzing now. You know, we got some amazing deer out there. Uh, we're all pushing clean, typical genetics. Occasionally, we'll get some trashy stuff that has some kickers and stuff. But for the most part, uh, really clean Texas genetics. So have a look. I'll take a, I'll take the trashy one. <laughs> Still be <laughs> yeah. happy with that. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, there were some very beautiful deer that I got to see when I was down there. And I mean, it blew my mind, you know, in, in the north. You know, we, we don't have much for um ranches or whatnot sure most are in the wild whatnot and everything like that you know i think the largest one that i've seen personally is 170 inch you know and yeah and and for up here that's that's a big deer but it's mostly big bodied for the most part but that's pretty incredible if there's one thing that i've learned chris being in this business now for over 10 years is that the definition of a trophy to every person is so different right right? and it's like as long as that hunter and that new Cisco D family member is happy. We're happy, right? Yeah. Like that's what makes this place so special. You know, we have such a variety of different animals to to be harvested. You know, we also have what's called the Cisco D guarantee, which basically means if you don't 
get to harvest the animal that you specifically booked, we're going to have you back out as many times completely free of charge until that takes place. And that's not a normal thing that people do. Not at all. Like, nope. You, nope. you don't get that animal, you're moving on. Yep. Or there's some type of of, uh, of day rate or day fee or something that, that, that most businesses will charge to, uh, to, to cover that. Right. But a lot of operations, you know, uh, will just say, Hey, that's hunting. And that's understandable as long as the customer understands those expectations from the start. Right. Um, but at Cisco D we want to make sure that, that what our customers invest in that they get. Right. And, uh, so we have that Cisco D there guarantee there to, uh, to protect them. Cause that's what my little brother would want. So that's what we do. That's huge. It you is. know, and I think, didn't we have a recent hunt down there with the member two that did not harvest an animal and you guys invited him back too, I think. Yep, absolutely. That's pretty awesome. You don't see that elsewhere. So that's very admirable of you guys and what you do and speaks volumes as to, you know, what kind of outfit you're, you're running down there at the ranch. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. So um, we're, we're going to move out of that a little bit. You're coming to this next year's banquet, right? You bet, man. I wouldn't miss it for the world. Oh, man. It was great having you there. So individuals that are going to be in the Minnesota area, you know, I highly implore you to come to our banquet that we have every year. Marcos is there last year representing Cisco D. Brought your wife with. Uh, got to meet her. Absolutely awesome wife that you have there. Thank you. Thank uh, was you. able to chat with her for a while. And um, Marcos was able to take the stage and tell the story as well. And um this next year he'll be back and he'll be able to share his experiences and you'll be able to discuss his ranch with him. But what did you think about the banquet last year? Did you have fun? It was amazing. I had so much fun. Like I'm so glad that I had that opportunity to, to meet the crew and meet all those friendly faces and then go hang out with everybody afterwards. It was super, super awesome. Right? I saw some of those pictures after the war and after the <laughs> night was over and you guys already had a blast. It was oh. so good. Like, I can't wait. I am so excited to come back and, and participate. And we love the raffle and the auction and, you know, uh, being able to speak to speak to the crowd and, and show our respects to our veterans and our servicemen and women. Like that's another strong pillar. You know, uh, one thing that I failed to mention when I was telling you my upbringing in that Hondo town, when I used to go over to my grand grandfather's place, um, he was a, he was a Vietnam vet. Right. And um, he used to, yeah, I didn't know enough about it at that time because I was so young, right? Um, but now, like where I'm at today, and, and growing up, and, and looking at the freedoms that we have, and being able to do what we're capable of doing because of those freedoms, like we we salute all you veterans, right, and all of our first responders for for allowing us to do this. So thank you very much. Yeah, it's calling, you know, and no thanks is needed, but it's what we do. And uh, it, you know, the great part with HHO is we have supporters like you that let us engage in these trips and adventures and experiences where people are able to get back together and mold and create those relationships and bonds. So we greatly appreciate you and all your help too. Um, this next year, when you have it back, you know, you're going to have that booth again and people will be able to talk to you about hunts and what you have going on down there. And I really highly encourage, highly encourage you to attend the banquet, but also to go seek out Marcos and talk about the ranch. And it's just, it's, it's fun, you know, and I am actually originally, I was born in San Antonio and I moved out of there when I was five, my dad relocated for work. So my heart's always in Texas. Um, my dad's like, oh, you're Minnesota. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You had me in San Antonio. So I am a Texan at heart and I love that state. So, uh, Awesome. Any chance I get to hop on getting in Texas, I'm down there. You know, I'm going to be down uh, with Sean here in 
December again for his youth hunt. And then I'll be back in February for our cis training for our suicide awareness stuff. So excited well, to come me, back and I, I got to make a trip over to Cisco D again. Let me know, man. Open door policy, especially to all of our HHO folks. Like, uh, if you guys ever come down and you want to come and hang out, like we'd love to have you, right? Sean's holding down the Goldthwait Ranch as well, right? So a lot of opportunity there to get out and and uh, find that find that outside therapy, right? Everybody needs it. It's a great place to get it. I got to give huge praise to both of you. You know, um, not only for Sean for his endeavors with the HHO and picking up the ball and running with it, but also for his connections that he's made and the relationships he's built to include you with Marcos. So I really appreciate you, Sean, for that. But also, Marcos, the the giving back that you've given was very significant. And I know that when the one member was down there and he harvested his animal, the look on his face. And then I think he also brought his, was it his father or his grandfather, Sean? His father. So they're both veterans. Yeah. And, and that was on September 11th of 2021. Right. And, and uh, yeah, so we got the have a special hunt and the son drew the hunt. He was a um, desert storm era soldier and his father was a Vietnam soldier. And uh, you know, they just really shared hunting was their thing and they just hadn't been able to do it. And here they got to come down to Cisco D and spend the entire weekend, you know, and it was, it was amazing for sure. And his son, I remember he, he would go back to the lodge either for a nap or whatever it was, some downtime, and his dad would just sit in the blind and just sit there and just watch and just enjoy. And it was great. We had to pry him out of there. Yeah. But it was yeah. a very fun experience. And actually, there's a video that Sean put together that was pretty phenomenal that I believe is on our YouTube page and other social media sites. So if you ever want to watch that hunt, please go there. But so, Marcos, um, I know we're a little over an hour here, so we're going to try to wrap some stuff up. But, you know, if individuals want to find you on your social media or your website, you know, even, even distance from the, the closest airport to say someone wants to go to Dallas Fort Worth airport. Like what's that look like in order to contact you and um, do some research on you? Sure. Absolutely. So uh, first off the phone number that you can call is 512-497-8799. Uh, you'll actually reach me directly listeners if you call that number. So special incentives for speaking with me. First, so I encourage you to call that again, 512-497-8799. The office number is 512-966-2735. We have two websites for our hunting site. It's www.ciscodranch.com. That's S-I-S-C-O-D ranch.com. And then the trapping website, if anybody's out there looking to get some animals relocated or, or purchased in Texas, it's www.ciscodtrapping.com. As far as coming out and visiting us on the ranch, uh, the nearest airport is going to be the Abilene Airport. It's about a little over an hour north of the Cisco D Ranch in Santa Ana, Texas. Uh, so not a far drive. We do offer airport pickup and return as well. So if you don't want to rent a rental car and you want to come do some hunting with us, my guys are happy to, to scoop you up at the airport and take you back for your flight. Um, flying into Dallas uh, or the Fort Worth area, you know, that's somewhere around, you know, two and a half hours, maybe three hours, depending on traffic. Um, and then the same thing for the Austin International Airport in Austin, Texas, uh, about two and a half to, to, to three hours or so ballpark, depending on traffic. So everything's pretty much, uh, you know, centralized around around this area. So not too far of a drive in, in any which direction. Yeah. And 
even if you do decide to go to Dallas, Fort Worth, or Austin, you know, just even the drive and the things that you can see in between point A and point B is pretty awesome. You know, we stopped in Waco for the night and that was phenomenal. Yeah. Good, for, all, for all of our listeners out there, if you are planning a trip to Texas and, and you want to come and hunt with us or visit with us and you're not too sure of like um, what area to go to or whatnot, feel free to give us a call. We'll give you some pointers based off of knowing Texas pretty well and, and all of these major metros uh, and kind of making some recommendations for you guys, especially if you're extending a stay and you're not just hunting and you're on business or you're going to be visiting family or doing something else in Texas. Like we can make some recommendations based off of the location. Yeah. And if you're a member, you know, with HHO, um, feel free to reach out to Sean Olsberg over here too. You know, he's a, got a lot of knowledge and he's not very far away and he can give you some pointers as well. Sean, you got anything you want to add to that? No, I think you got it. Yeah. If you have any questions about Cisco D, you can give, give me all or, you know, any of our, our Texas um, staff members, our, our Texas state director, Kevin Mullins. He's a subject matter expert and he can answer all your questions about Cisco D ranch as well. Very if cool. A, well, and if you're a veteran or first responder listening to this for the first time uh, on this podcast and you're not a member of HHO, uh, get with Sean, get with Kevin. These guys are fantastic. Um, it costs you absolutely nothing, right? You deserve to be a member, right? You deserve it. <laughs> so be a member, automatically get yourself put into a drawing. Cisco D gives away hunts all year long, right? We got the Goldthwaite Ranch specific for HHO to go and hunt whitetails and turkeys and dove hunt and stuff like that. So we we, uh, we want to give back to you guys. We really, really genuinely do. We, we sincerely appreciate uh, our freedoms and um, we want you guys to know that. So get with Sean, get with Kevin. Also, special shout out to, to, to our boy, Zach, over at Athers Rifle Company. I uh, want to make sure we recognize this gentleman. Um, built some amazing guns, guys. So if, if, if you want it, he can do it. I mean, he does Cerakote that looks like Gucci bags. I mean, he do, does whatever you want. I mean, call that guy up, let him know. And then Silencer Central, these guys, I keep hearing their names all over the place. Build a fantastic product, right? Um, I hear about it from Sean and, and from Kevin and a lot of the HHO guys. They use these. Uh, uh, silencers on the ranch. I've seen them myself firsthand, top notch, top quality, and their turnaround time frame on this stuff is ridiculous. So um, if you're not getting one because uh, you feel like it's going to take you forever, think again, reach out to the guys, they'll hook you up. And the cool part with the Silencer Central side is we actually have a podcast coming up with their CEO, the founder, you know, himself. So that'll, that'll be a good podcast to listen to and kind of tie things together with everything that we talked about tonight too. But appreciate you guys coming on tonight. Thank you for the relationship you've built. Thank you for the opportunities you've built for our members. Very instrumental in what we do. Um, Marcos, I'm going to come back down and, you know, we're going to drink some beers. And then Sean's going to cook us another boil. We'll try it. Yes. It was good That's stuff. Right. Sounds good. Let's book it and bag it, gents. Book it. boy. <laughs> well, thank you, gentlemen. And as uh, Dan Meyer says, you know, until next time, we will see you out on the water and in the woods. Thank you for listening to the Hometown Hero Outdoors podcast. For more information about Hometown Hero Outdoors, visit our webpage at www.hometownherooutdoors.org.